Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. So are you a happy person? Mm, it's kind of a hard question to answer in some ways, right? Like when people ask you, hey, are you, are you happy? You feeling happy? It's like, well, and you kind of check in on like your immediate circumstances, like, well, did I get enough sleep last night? Last night, the answer is no. Uh, did I get enough sleep last night? Uh, am I well fed? Do I feel warm? Um, is my boyfriend or girlfriend, are they treating me well? Are my kids good? Is my spouse good? Like, you sort of look at the immediate things around you. How are my relationships? Um, you know, how's my pH levels? I don't know. Like, we just look at stuff, and we go like, yeah, I'm happy if those all check off well. Or I'm not happy if those, aren't, if those aren't good, right? And there's something to that. There's something in the way the body and the brain, that the human, the human, the human body was made. There's something that God did there that, that makes sense. Like, like the brain produces chemicals, um, oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine. These things are things, uh, chemicals that we might associate with happiness. We, we feel good when we have these things. You know, you get dopamine, you can get like from chocolate cake and serotonin you can get from like holding a, a happy baby. You get some other chemical if you hold an unhappy baby, but serotonin, you know, you can build this, you go, oh, this is great, and it feels good. Um, so that, that stuff is real, those things inside of us, biologically, there's some stuff going on. And then I think genetically what we're discovering is that there are people that are maybe a little more prone to happiness than others, or, um, and some of that might be genetic, some of that might be upbringing. There's people who uh, you've probably known this to be true in your own experience. There's people who are a little more, I don't know, sad, I guess. Maybe you could say clinically depressed, but even outside of that, just a little more glasses half empty kind of people, right? And then there's those other people that are like morning people, you know, and they're like all perky. And even if they haven't had coffee, they're just, you know, there to get ready to go. Like, so we, we've experienced that, that there's a range of, of, of people um, uh, out there. And it seems to me that this idea to be happy is sort of the quest of our time. Um, in the, maybe in the 80s, 90s, or whatever, we were talking about, like, oh, you got to make all this money, and money was the thing. But we've kind of maybe tried to move on from that as a society, and we're sitting here talking about, like, no, no, it's not about making money, it's about being happy. And so we kind of go there. And considering how much anxiety there is in culture, I, I, I'm not surprised we've kind of swung towards happiness. We're trying to make the, the, the yucky feelings go away, so we kind of lean into happiness, and we make that our thing. And we are a country that has the pursuit of happiness written into our founding document, so it makes sense that, you know, here we are a couple hundred years later, we're still trying to figure out how to do it. And I was looking at how people relate to happiness and what they think about happiness, and it seems to me there are one of, there, there's like a couple, a couple different ways um, that people think about happiness. Uh, for some people, number one, they, they think happiness is like natural, or they think it's like just sort of the normal state of life or the way to be that we're, and, and maybe this is you, maybe you're just sort of generally a happy person, like things are pretty good. And maybe that's circumstantial, maybe your parents were good to you, you've always been cared for and you've, you've had a privileged life or a charmed life or a good life or things have gone generally well, you haven't dealt with a lot of pain or suffering or whatever. And so for you, happiness seems to be kind of the natural state of being and you think that's how you are and how most people should kind of be that way. So I think there are a lot of, a lot of people that are kind of in that camp, that like happy is kind of normal. Um, I think then there's another camp of, of people where happiness is something more like unattainable. It's like, well, I can't, I can't be happy. 
And there's often reasons for that. If you've experienced trauma, if you've experienced a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, your upbringing was hard, maybe your current circumstances have been hard or they have been hard for a long time, um, there's reasons why you might be a glass is half empty and I don't know that I can be happy and I'm a little bit melancholy and all that kind of stuff. I understand that and some of my good friends are that way and some of the best thinkers in the world are that way. Um, and I thought about it in terms of, of Shakespeare if you've ever read any Shakespeare, and, and just about everybody like in the American public school system has had to read it at some point, but you remember how Shakespeare writes comedies and tragedies? This is one of the things I remember from reading his plays in high school. And, and, I, and I enjoy his comedies. I always liked Much Ado About Nothing, although when I, when I see it, I've seen it performed or I've seen the movie or whatever, like at the end of the day, uh, everybody at the end of the play, rather, at the end of the play, everybody's happy and, and it ends up great pretty much for everybody, and everybody gets to be with who they want, and it's just all wonderful. And that's fun and all, but life's not much like that, is it? Life is maybe a little more like some of his other plays. Life's a little more, you know, Hamlet Macbeth than it is much ado, you know? Like, here's something Macbeth says. Listen to this quote. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets this hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. How about that for Macbeth, huh? It's, um, he wasn't happy at all. Uh, it, but but it, I love that like kind of sober, sort of realistic view of the world. He's, now, he he's very, says life is basically meaningless, and I would say there is meaning to life. He's not dialed into it. But, but he, he does sort of acknowledge the, the darkness of reality, that, man, there's stuff that happens that seems just senseless and, and, and painful. Um, and so for people like Macbeth, happiness is probably just a dream. It's just something that other people have. Um, I, I really like the thinkers that come out of that kind of mindset around happiness that aren't the most cheery. Sometimes they think deeply about life stuff and bring us some of the best thoughts. Soren Kierkegaard said this uh, a couple centuries ago, people settle for a level of despair they can tolerate and call it happiness. That is like the happiest quote I could find on a sermon on happiness. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh. I mean, he lived in Denmark. It's, it's, it's dark there, like six months a year. Uh, but they have a really high rate of happiness. I don't understand that. But in his day, they probably didn't, back in the 1800s. Um, at, but, but I love what he's saying. When I first heard that quote five years ago, I went to a training, and I heard this quote, and it, and it stuck with me, that we, that we settle. That we settle for, uh, I can tolerate this level of despair, and I'm going to pretend that that's happy. And it, it, when I first heard that quote, it challenged me not to settle, and it made me think about where am I settling um, but, I, but, I, but that's how some people think about happiness, right? Kind of on that dark side. And there's some people on that, sort of the bright side and everything's great. And then I think there's a third option, which is where maybe most of us fall, that, that really we're kind of in between. Like we're doing the things in our pursuit of happiness that, that we think we should do. And whether culture says, oh, you should get a job and you should get money. And you could, you, we, so we pursue all the stuff and we hope that that leads to the happiness that we've been promised and so we're doing that, and we're, while we're on that pursuit, occasionally something will make us really sad, and will kind of knock us off of that, and we'll, we'll look at the tragic side and the dark side, or we'll go to a funeral, or something bad will happen, and then hopefully we get off of that, and we go back onto the happy side, and we kind of pinball back and forth between these extremes for most of our life. We try to avoid the, the sad stuff and try to lean into the happy stuff. Um, I want to propose a fourth way to think about happiness, and this one comes from Scripture. I, I think there's... there's uh, really an ancient tradition of this, that, that people have been 
concerned about the human soul and, and our emotional state and all of that for, for millennia. And, and I think the scripture actually speaks to, to this idea of happiness and gives us a different way of, of thinking about how to get happiness. And it gives a, a different way of thinking about the value of it and, and, and what, it, what it will mean for us. And I, want to, and I want to point to King David in the Psalms. King David is maybe the rock star of the Old Testament. He, uh, he was a, eventually became a wealthy king of Israel at, at a time in Israel's history that was quite good. It was around the year 1000 BC. And he rules over Israel in, in the city of Jerusalem. So he's famous, popular, wealthy. He gets all the things that you, that you could want with that. And so he's kind of living that sort of rock star life. And you would think that David, when he writes about his emotional state, you think he would mostly be happy. You, you'd think that, man, like, things are pretty good for this guy. Um, but if you read the Psalms, which is a book of songs that he wrote that we have recorded in the middle of our Bible in the Old Testament, if you read the Psalms, what you find is that David is very up and down. He has all the emotions of human experience. And that's what makes the Psalms so relatable, is there's a Psalm for probably how you're feeling today if you dig, dig through there. Um, but he, he does start by talking about happiness, and he doesn't say happiness is, well, just party really hard like I, I did, and, and, and that's how you'll be happy. He actually points to something a lot deeper than that. So I want us to read it. It's in Psalm 1. We'll start with verse 1. Let me put it up on the screen. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So he uses the word blessed, and translators will tell you that you could, you could use the word happy there. Happy is the man who, who, do, who does this. Uh, it's not an exact translation, but it's pretty close to the idea. So for the sake of our conversation, if we say, okay, happy is the man. All right, so he, he starts out this whole collection of psalms singing about or, or telling us about um, how to be happy. You're happy if, he's saying, you walk not in the counsel of the wicked, you don't stand in the way of sinners, you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. So sort of, he, he looks at it from a negative perspective. You're happy when you don't hang with these people. Now, who are the people? Well, people who, who are the counsel of the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, people who mock God, who don't care for God, who have no interest in him, who don't want to be around him. If you walk with those people, there's a progressive thing he does here. Walk, stand, sit. If you walk with someone, that's, that's a, that could be a quick thing. Walk in the counsel of, of the wicked. You're, you're walking along, oh yeah, okay, and they tell you something, and then you go, okay, I gotta go, see you later. Standing with someone is a little, is a little longer. You're gonna have a face-to-face -face conversation. You're getting some FaceTime there, right? But when you sit with someone in the ancient world, if you, if you sat with someone, that's considered to be a pretty deep relationship. When you sit with someone, they are your people, so if you said, I sit with the Jews or I sit with the Romans, uh, that means that, that that is kind of your tribe. And so David starts by saying, look, you're going to be happiest when you don't walk, stand, or sit with the people who mock God and who don't care uh, about your faith. Um, it, it, he's telling us to pay attention to the influences and the people that are around us. Now, we're familiar with that in our modern culture. Usually, um, I can tell when someone has broken up in their relationship, like if they're dating and they, and they had a breakup, not because they're going to post like we broke up on, on social media. They're going to post something like, you know, you should get rid of all the negativity in your life. And I'm like, oh, uh-oh. Did you just break up with the negativity? Did you just get rid of it? You just cut it right out, didn't you? 
oh no, you know, or, or they'll post like, uh, you know, if you, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. I'm like, somebody couldn't handle you at your worst, could they? Oh no, like, right? So you, you've seen this, and, and, and this is the kind of stuff we do. We sort of like cut out the negativity, get rid of the haters and all that, like, and we may go a little overboard with that. Some of that's probably selfish, and it's like, maybe they're a hater because you're terrible. I don't know, like, you're not, but you're going to post, you know, you're not considering that, maybe, you know. So maybe we go overboard on it, um, but I do think there is a, a grain of truth there, and there's something like, okay, notice the company that you keep, because as you stand, sit, and walk with these people, um, the, 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 they're going to influence you, and, and David says that, and, it's gonna, and you're going to be unhappy if you're walking with the people who are mocking your faith, who are mocking God's laws, they give ungodly advice, like it, eventually that's going to go badly for you. My guess is you've experienced that. If you look back to a period of your life when it was not good, and you go like, okay, there was this time in my life when, you know, it could be college, it could be high school, post-college, later into adulthood, you went through a dark phase, six months, a year, years, I don't know, and it just wasn't good. My guess is if you look back onto a phase that was a dark time of your life, what you'll notice is that there are other players in, in the story. And the people that are surrounding you during that dark time, there's a good chance that they were in it with you. And not in a, I'm going to sit, and sit with you in this and help you get better, but they were like, no, I'm on this path too. And they were encouraging you down that path. They were, they were, they were right there with you as you were making bad decisions because they were making them too and they enjoyed the company. Um, and I think that's, we all see that. That, that the company, that bad company corrupts good character. Like you've probably heard that. Teenagers in the room. Listen, this is for you. This is why your parents care about who your friends are. Because we know this is true. We've lived it already. We've seen it. And when, when we hear about we go like, okay, my kid is great and you're going to make great decisions. This is why you're, you're like, you say to your parents like, mom, don't worry about me. Dad, don't worry about me. You know, I'm, I'm not going to. And we say, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the other kids at the party. Or the other kids in the car, like whatever, like, because we know that you are shaped by those people. And as our influence is less in your life as you grow, you start listening to those peers more. And so it matters to us as parents who love you more than anyone, it, it matters to us that, that the path that you're on and who you've surrounded yourself with. So David states it as a negative, don't, don't surround yourself with idiots, basically, uh, but the inverse of that is true, that happiness is found when we are connected with good people, when we have connection with good people. And this is true no matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Um, everybody needs meaningful, healthy relationships, and, if, um, and, and uh, this is a key thing for all of us. This is why marriage is such a good thing, but also such a dangerous thing, because you are connecting yourself to a person, um, and they're going to shape you, and, and for better or worse. Right? And there's, there's a lot of power there. And so you want, to be, you want to be careful with that because you're in close proximity there. Um, and even outside of marriage, it's not just about marriage, even outside of marriage, it's important that all of us cultivate really good relationships. Now, that kind of connection we, we have with good people is not something that you just discover. You, you, you might discover it. You might meet someone and go like, oh, wow, they're kind of great and whatever, and we could be friends or whatever. Um, but you need to cultivate it like a garden. You need to invest in it. 
You can't just have it once and then, oh, I, there's a good person. Like, there needs to be some ongoing investment. So I would say, just think about these questions, then we'll move on. If you think about the five people closest to you in your life, number one, are these people bringing you closer to God or farther away? Are they, are, do they care? Are they invested in you and your faith and growth? It, are they making that same investment in their own life? Are they bringing you closer or farther away? And then number two, what are you doing to cultivate those relationships, um, that connection? Because if you cultivate good relationships, you are more likely to be happy. It's, it's, it's true. Now, don't mishear me on this. None of this is like a, a justification for a divorce. This is not like, well, I mean, I got to get rid of the haters. He said, connect with good people. And, you know, like, don't, don't hear that from this. In fact, if you're reading Core 52 with us, we, we, uh, we've got a book. You can, you can pick it up if, you, if, you're, if you're new here. Uh, we have copies of it for sale. But there's a book that we are reading through for the year, and it's helping us read through the Scripture, going through all these different topics. And the sermons on Sundays are, are connected to that book and those topics. And so this week, you'll be talking about the reading that through this this week um, about happiness. And one of the things that Mark Moore says in the book, and he's been a pastor for decades, and, and this is what, what he says. Uh, he says, um, 100% of the time when someone says to me in my office, God just wants me to be happy, um, they're about to make a tragic mistake, and it's usually in their marriage. So I'm not saying go there. You know, oh, well, I'm not saying happiness is everything because it isn't. We'll get to that at the end. But it, it's, it's not, it's not the, everything is not the only thing. It's not the only factor. But we need to think about it, and we need to think about the relationships that we're in and consider where they're taking us. So number one is about relationships. Number two um, is knowing uh, happiness is found knowing and being obedient to God's teaching. Listen to where this David goes in Psalms 1, verse 2. He says, you don't stand in the way of the sinners and all that kind of thing. He says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. David is describing a person who thinks about God, who thinks about his scripture, his teaching, and he's learning from it, and it is changing him. That's maybe more of a modern, modern wording of it. We don't meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. We read the scripture, we read the Bible, and we let it change us. We let it get inside of us. There is very little value to just knowing the Bible, to just reading it and going, oh, I know that one story of the thing, and I read that, and I, I can quote that verse. Like, there's limited value to that. The value comes when you let it get inside you and actually change your behavior and shape the way you look, think, and, and feel about the world. That's, that's the real value of the thing. And that comes from meditating on it day and night, as, as he describes there. That comes from uh, digging in and, and really getting into the world. In Jesus' day, there were plenty of people who knew the scriptures. They, they, they had entire books of the Old Testament memorized. They were called the Pharisees. They were sort of the religious crowd of Jesus' day. And he's critical of them, not, that they, not because they know stuff. It's because they know stuff and their heart's not in it. They don't do anything with what they learned. They, they know it, but they're not obedient to it. And this is where he's challenging them, and that's the challenge for us. Don't just know the thing. That's not going to change you. It's just going to make you more judgmental. And instead, let it work you over. Now, I thought about that, and I thought, okay, why, why that? If, if, if happy is the man who basically meditates on God's law day and night, why does that even work? Like, why would that make people happy? 
Because I could think of other ways for you to be happy that might be easier or something. Um, but as I was digging down into it, I, I, I kind of I, I landed on this. I think the biggest reason knowing God's word and being obedient to it will help you be happy is because knowing God's word and being obedient to it will help you align with reality. And you will be most happy when you are aligned with reality. What I mean is this, the scripture teaches us from our designer how we were designed. And when we live in accordance to that and his rules and boundaries, and we go, okay, this is the way I was made. This is, the, this is what life is. This is what life's about. I have purpose and meaning and understanding of suffering and all of those things. We get that from being immersed in God's word and being in a relationship with him. And when we get that, we understand reality. We understand the world as it is. So much pain uh, and suffering comes from people who are kicking against reality, who are saying, I want to rewrite reality, or I want this to not be true. And there's so much anguish from that when we go outside of the way that God has designed us. Um, we are, we, when, so when I tell you about, even when I tell you about something scientific, like oxytocin or serotonin or something like that. That is just a scientific way of describing what's going on in the brain, which is to say that is a scientific way of describing a, a biblical thing. That is, God created us with a plan, with a design. He's our designer. We have DNA inside of us that he thought up. Um, and when we live in accordance with that and we, and we line up with that, we will be most happy. Let me give you an example of this. And this one's controversial, okay? Uh, this is in the category of really unpopular things I can say up here. Um, but here we go. Let's talk about sex for a minute. <laughs> no, please don't. Uh, let's talk about sex for a minute. Because if you think about what sex is, you have to go, well, the, it, like, it's weird, right? Like, who thought that up? Well, it was thought up by somebody. It, it, it's one of those many, many things in life. You're like, who's the first person that tried this? And then thought, oh, that's a good idea. Um, I'll tell you who thought it up. God did. And said, this is a good idea. So if otherwise, you're sort of left with like, well, what do I do with this? I can do whatever I want. Why don't I? And then you're like, no, hold on. Hold on. You're not the first person that's ever tried this. There's a, there's a pattern here. There's a, a meaning to this. There's a, a greater story that's told with this thing. And so when you look in the scripture and you go, oh, well, okay, sex is a thing. What is it for? You go back to the scripture and you find out, oh, okay, God designed this for procreation so that we can make more of us to keep the species going and, and have more people and kind of fill the earth. That's the design of it. And secondarily, it's for our joy and, and, and enjoyment. So you go, okay, so God designed this thing to bring children about in the world and to, to cement this relationship that you're in or it's sort of a, a glue kind of thing. If that's the case... We would conclude then, like the scripture does, that, that sex is designed to be used within the context of marriage. So the fire stays in the fireplace kind of thing, right? Like this is, the, this is the idea of it, is that when you're married, a man and woman come together and sex is part of the glue of that. The challenge comes is that we live in a culture in, in America and probably the Western world just generally that says, nah, I don't like that idea. I actually think because sex is enjoyable and, and healthy and natural and all these things we would say, we'd say we can kind of do it wherever. We can use this in context outside of that context. Um, but let's be honest about this. 
There's a lot of problems with that. There's a lot of challenges. And we are, as a society, in the age of Me Too and all of these things that we've seen, we are seeing what happens when people take sex out of a marriage context and start using it in all sorts of other ways. And the, result, or the results are not great of, of what's happened in culture when, when we do this. And if you look at things that happen in, in, with sex outside of marriage, what you find is that psychologically, sex is really powerful bonding between two people. Like, it, it, it bonds you in a way that other things don't, wouldn't you agree? Right? It's, it's not like a handshake. It's, something else is going on there. And so there's a very powerful psychological thing that happens between people when they're in a sexual relationship. And when you tear that apart, or you, you do that and then no, no more with you, and then with someone else, and no more with you, and then with someone else, um, there's a tearing that happens in you from that. Like, and it's, it's powerful, because it was designed to bind you to the person, and you're being bonded to someone that you don't have a long-term commitment with. And there's a lot of psychological damage that comes with that. And then, and not even, and this isn't even getting into the other things, the sort of the scaremongering stuff, like, well, there's diseases you could get and all that. Yeah, that's true. There's unwanted pregnancies that come outside of marriage. Yes, that's true. There's all that stuff. And, and I got to think, when you look at the wreckage that comes from sexual relationships that are outside of marriage, when you look at that whole thing, if you're God, just put on the God hat for a minute, not that we could all wear that, but just put it on for a second, and you're looking down at humanity handling sex way outside the way you designed it, would you say to humanity, well, I mean, you kids, just have fun. And, and I know there's like, you know, 50 things that can go wrong with this, but like, just, just be careful and just make sure it's with someone you love. Or would you look at humanity and go, no, this is why I, I'm telling you to like put it here, put it in this context of a husband and wife in, in marriage. God is not trying to be your buzzkill. God is, is for your happiness and joy. And he knows how you're made and he knows what this will do. This is why he designed it this way. It's, it's actually for your greatest, greatest good. Now, everything I just told you, sex is just one example of, of this, but everything I just told you, I, I learned from Scripture. I learned from, you dig into the Bible, you read stuff that jars you and rattles you, and you go, man, I don't know if I agree with that. What is that? Why is that? What is the truth about that? That makes me uncomfortable. You get into all that stuff, and it changes you, and it shapes you. And, it, and, it's, and it's a good thing. And when you live under those parameters, those guardrails, those boundaries, you actually are more likely to be happy because it, you're, you're, you're aligning yourselves with the truth of, and, and, and with reality. So there's two, two aspects of happiness, uh, ways to be happy. There's, there's one more, um, and this comes from the third verse in Psalm 1. Listen to this. Psalm 1, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He's like a tree. So the way he describes this happy person is that they are a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. Okay, I would just say it this way. We are designed, uh, we're, we're happy when we are bearing fruit. Bearing fruit is maybe a third, a third element of happiness here. He describes it as a tree that's by the water. Put, put that verse back up on the screen for me. It's a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit. Um, in, in the church world, we're, we're used to talking about fruitfulness. 
It's one of those things that Christians talk about that I think people outside of the church do not really talk about as much. We go, okay, this is fruitful. It's producing something. And we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, all that kind of stuff. But other, beyond that kind of fruitfulness, there's other kinds of fruitfulness in, with our faith. We, we become more generous people. We give more of our time and our, our money and our, our, our energy. We, we, we're more generous. We're, we're more serving of others, of the world. We're less focused on ourselves. We're focusing outward. Um, that's all kind of a fruitful thing. And, and if we are bearing fruit like that, we will be more uh, happy. We will because we'll feel like we're moving somewhere. We're accomplishing something. He, he talks about that, that uh, this happy person is, is, is like a tree planted by streams of water. David writes from Jerusalem, and if you've ever been to Jerusalem, the, the whole area of that part of the country is a lot like, um, close I can compare it to is sort of like Southern California, where it's just dry, and then there's some palm trees, and um, it's kind of deserty. And if there's any green stuff, it's usually near water. There's a river or a lake or something. Um, because that's how the trees grow. Trees are not going to grow just, just out in the desert on their own. They've got to be near water. And he says, look, this is what it's like when you're, when you're meditating on God's word, when you, when you surround yourself with good people, um, you're going to be like this tree that's planted. You're going to be fruitful, but you're connected to this water source. You're in the right spot. And that's going to feel good. There's going to be some happiness that comes with this. Now, he says you're going to yield fruit in, your se- in its season, Trees do not yield fruit all year round. Um, and, and you need to hear this too. And I need to hear this as well. Um, there's moments, there's seasons of your life that it's not that fruitful. You're plugging away, you think you're doing the thing, you want your faith to grow, you're, you, 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 you think it's supposed to be leaps and bounds, but like nothing's happening. It's like a dry season. That's okay. Um, that, that Trees are not blooming all the time. Um, but... Because you're connected to the streams of water, you're not dying. It may be stagnant right now, but you're not dying. It says it's, the leaf does not wither. A tree's not dying every winter. It's just, it's just dropping off for a little bit, but, but it's still connected. It is still rooted, and there's still gro- growth that, that can come as it stays connected to the life source. I think this is actually pointing us to something that is greater than happiness. Because real... You know, we do a series called Better, and you can hear about happiness, and you go, like, I want to be happy. I would, I mean, because what's the alternative? Like, not happy. I don't want to be not happy. I want to be happy. Do I get to pick? Happy, that's my option. That's the one I want, right? I get that. But I think this points us to something greater than happiness. It points us to resilience. That no matter what, if we can stay connected to that water source, we will be okay. It, it, Yes, there will be happy moments. There's going to be some very unhappy moments. But we can, we can still be strong when we stay connected and rooted in God no matter what season that we're in. I think about this with parents a lot. Um, as a parent, one of the things we want for our children is that they will be happy. If you ask a lot of parents, what do you want your parents to be when they grow up? What do you want your kids to be when they grow up? A lot of parents will say, I want them to be happy. We won't say, I want them to do this job or I want them to be rich or whatever. We've kind of Probably the go-to is, well, I, you know, whatever they do, as long as they're happy. It's weird, though, right? Because we're not happy. Not really. Not all the time. Because that's not life. So why do we want our kids to be something we're not? Now, we may go, well, my upbringing was hard and my parents were terrible. I'm going to be better than that. So I'm not happy, but I want my kids to be happy because I'm giving them a better life than what I had or something like that, right? But I just think we're not realistic. 
happy is not where it's at, despite what our founding fathers wrote in documents, right? Like, that's, it's, just not, it's just not everything. And, and, and we have to be realistic, even, even in parenting. Um, we don't want our kids to be happy all the time. We want our kids to be resilient, to, to bounce back no matter what happens. Um, the, this is why we challenge you to have your kids involved in A10 Kids or to have your kids at student ministry on Sunday night is because we're with you in this. We are trying to help you plant faith in the hearts of your children so that no matter what happens, they're, they're ready for it, that they can, that they can go with it. Um, we're, we're, because the, the culture is going to challenge you to plant your kids in everything else for their happiness but their faith. If your kid's really smart, the culture is going to say your kid should like be academic and do all the smart things, and that's where he will be most happy or she will be most happy. If your kid is can ball, then the, the culture is going to be like you know if you just let your kid ball, they're going to be so happy and they're going to be this is their thing. It's going to be the most important thing, and they're going to be happy, and then you're going to be happy, and it'll be great or whatever. Or you know, oh your 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 daughter's so great at music. If she'll just do that, that'll be the thing, and then she's going to be most happy. And the, always the challenge will come from culture. Make your your kid's life or help them to make their life about this. And I'm telling you, uh, that's not where it's going to be when they're 20, 30, 40 years old as adults. Um, it's going to have to be rooted in something else. And so take the time now as parents to point them to faith, to pray with them, to read, to, to talk about God, because that is the stuff that lasts. And it, it, is, it is the way our kids will be happiest and, and will be most resilient. We have to be t- intentional about it. I had someone uh, like a week or two ago come up to me at church and they said, um, hey, what is, there's a new person at the church and said, what's the mission of this church? Now you'd think of all people in the room, I should be able to answer that question pretty quickly, right? Like I sort of wrote it, so I, you know, okay. I'm like, oh yeah, transforming lives in the city for the city, done. But I was like, actually, I mean, that's what we say and that's the kind of thing that would be on a, a banner or on a, on a website or something, transforming lives in the city for the city. It's true, that's what we're about. But here's the deal. Here's what, this is what we're trying to do every week as a church throughout the year. We want people to know God and find him and be in relationship with him through Jesus. We want people to make friends and connections and find their people so that they're in this journey together. And we want people to pool their time, talent, and energy together to make an impact in the world. We want to change things. We want to make this thing better in the space that we live. That's it. Knowing God, finding your people, and making an impact in the world. That's, that's really what we're about. And as I thought about that, even as I was writing this message, I'm like, that's actually the same thing from Psalm 1. What, that the mission of our church is the same as what, what the happy person is. It's your people. It is bearing fruit and making some sort of impact. And it's knowing God and being in relationship with him. Um, that's it. That isn't to say that our church is on a happiness mission. But there is some overlap there, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Here's, here's the deal. If, if you came to church and you said, hey, I want to I be happy, I'm not happy, and I'm hoping that church will make me happy, or I'm hoping that this connection with God will make me happy, um, I don't know if it quite works that way. Because if we go to God saying, I need you to make me happy, we're not going to God as he is. We are going to God as we want him to be, and in which case we're going to not God at all. We're going to something else. 
I think the real truth is if you aim at happiness and hope God gives it to you, you're going to be disappointed. But you, if, if you aim at God and say, I want to take you as you are and I want to learn from you, I think you'll get happiness thrown in as a, as a side benefit to that, of, of really knowing God. You see, even as I talk about this as happiness, my, ho- my hope and prayer as I was writing this is not that you'd walk out of here with a couple more ideas about how to be happy. That's, that's fine. But really what I want is for you to know the, the God that David knew and, and understand him and, and understand him more. God describes David as a man after his own heart. It says that in the scripture, that David's a man after God's own heart. How would you like that recommendation on your LinkedIn profile? That God himself is like, this is a man or woman after my own heart. And you're like, that's, that's pretty great. That's who he was. And, and, and he didn't get there by trying to be happy. He got there by pursuing God. And then happiness and, and other things were, were thrown in. And I think that's, that's going to be the way forward for us too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for what's written down here for us, that, that we can um, think through happiness and we can think through things that are greater, um, wisdom like we've talked about in the past or um, resilience that we're talking about um, a bit here. Um, God, help us to uh, be resilient people who are rooted in you, whose faith is rooted in you. God, for all the stuff, whether it's some talk here about sex or parenting or all the things that are um, weighing on us. May we give those things to you, and I pray that you, um, you shape those things in us, that you will let us be informed by your design rather than by our culture or by our current mood. Um, we, will, we will look to your design and, and really wrestle with how you made us and why. Um, God, um, I just thank you for everyone getting up on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning and coming and gathering together to, to immerse themselves in your truth. May it shape us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.